Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor working in central London and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Jonathan is a sports medicine consultant with a background in emergency medicine. He works as team doctor for the Glasgow Warriors rugby union team, has worked as emergency care advisor to the FA, and worked on head injury systems and immediate care with the senior men's team at the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Given his background, he has a particular interest in the human factors associated with working in sports medicine, especially in a pitch side and pre-hospital setting. So welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Um, so we've had a recent blog series on the issue of human factors, uh, which really summarised their role in sports medicine. But for those who might have missed the three-part series, um, what is meant by the term human factors? Yeah, human factors is quite a hot topic at the moment in, in, uh, in medicine generally. Uh, any kind of healthcare system that's thinking about patient safety is including human factors as a key component of the system. Essentially, it's a culture or a, a behavior around how clinicians interact between themselves or with the equipment they have to use or the environment in which they're working uh, to manage the risk around the clinical scenario. So it's basically a, a risk management strategy or framework from within ourselves. I know they're often referred to as kind of the more soft skills. Um, how exactly, sort of, well, first of all, why are these important, and especially within a sports medicine setting? Yeah, um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time training um, over the past ever many years. Everyone's been training 20, 30 years, and everybody's doing clinical courses about how to do procedure X, Y, and Z, uh, how to do um, advanced life support, etc. Advanced trauma life support is a good example. Um, and these are all very, very hard-defined clinical skills. But if you actually start at the other end and look at you know, wider errors happen, well, the biggest reason errors happen is because humans are involved and humans have to make yes-no decisions, black-white decisions um, at some point. And any clinical situation has got some risk associated with it. So if you can influence uh, through training and through getting people to recognize how their behaviors and the behaviors of others may influence that risk, then but the idea is that you can influence outcome and make it less likely that if a human error occurs, it will lead to a negative outcome and you'll still have a chance to repair it. In terms of for, if there's listeners out there who recognise and can empathise with some of the things you've said there and want to kind of develop and look into these further, how do you go about developing um, some of these soft skills, some of these human factors? Um, can they develop, be developed at an individual level um, or is it something that you... that whole departments or whole teams need to embrace as a whole it's it's a bit of everything you know it's um on an individual level absolutely it's all about um knowing your own role um in a in in a clinical situation but also appreciating the role of others uh being self-aware of your own behaviors uh and being aware of perhaps how some behaviors of the other of other people involved in the um clinical situation may be positively or negatively affecting outcome and having the skills to try and manipulate, influence, police that. Um, so absolutely, on an individual and systems level, it's, it's crucially important. 
um, that individuals go to their organizations and look at trying to educate everybody about human factors awareness, the soft skills and non, non-technical skills. Try and get a safe, effective framework within your own organization that individuals can operate in to manage the risk and reduce the chance of a negative outcome, but also to increase the chance of a positive outcome. Because we're, we're talking about healthcare as well, um, and sport and exercise medicine has got real, it's got many facets to it, hasn't it? You know, some people are very clinic based, some people um, work at a low level of sport, some people work in extreme environments up a mountain some people work um with 50 million people watching them um and they've all got kind of got their own different stresses but sometimes it's not just the clinical environment but it can be the performance environment as well because essentially what we're talking about is human individual performance uh, but as medical staff performance so some of your decision making on field when you've got to make it there and then um you know, if you've got good human factors awareness and you've done a bit of rehearsal and you've thought about the what ifs and you've rehearsed your communication and you can almost predict what each other are going to be thinking when you're out there, that increases the chance that you'll make a good decision that's effective for the, for the direction that you're wanting to do, manage the risk of the situation you're in. And so for team clinicians, physiotherapists sports therapists who might be listening and are working pitch side this weekend for instance is it a case of one being aware of that human factors exist and being aware of their importance but you've mentioned a few kind of strategies there and are they some some strategies that you've used within your sports career are there any practical tips you've got for people who are working on the weekends for sort of making sure that they're on top of these skills yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult, um, apart from a general awareness, it's difficult in a snapshot to suddenly change a culture and a behaviour around being human factors aware. Um, but, you know, it's certainly possible over a period of time. Um, I think I mentioned earlier on about um, you know, 15, 20 years ago when when many people were training in, in uh, medicine and we all did these... Um, resuscitation type courses and it was all very individual based clinically based as a spin-off from that we've had now the generation of sports courses which which i was involved in a lot of um helping produce and, and deliver and teach but again they were very much focused on the the individual of how does the individual manage an airway how do you do basic life support for the people who are working you know week in week out um pitch side it's kind of thinking how do you get to that next level up how do you get to that level of thinking about right well working as a team um there are some things you can do of course so you can protocol what you would do so for example if you have a cardiac arrest um who's going to do compressions who's going to be phoning the ambulance who's going to be looking after the defibrillator who's going to be team lead and the human factor side of that would be if your team lead stay team lead don't get sucked into the other people who are all very task orientated and if your team leads stop people interrupting the person doing the compressions or don't let anybody um interfere with the person doing the defibrillators so that like create an environment for them to do their job effectively um if you look at the way those in-hospital resuscitation courses have gone we've now got courses which have got loads of human factors in them loads of team working oriented orientated factors so courses like atls which advanced trauma life support which brilliant courses but most uh, listeners who 
I've been through courses like that two or three times. You've soon got the system. You understand the system of primary survey. So the next level up for, for those sort of people uh, in hospital resuscitation are things like the team course or the European trauma course, heavily focused on human factors, team working, clinical resource management. So there are simple things you can do. Uh, that's the direction of travel. And there are simpler things you can you can do, even if you're just... Um, you know, occasionally working pitch side, meet the medics before, find people's names, find people's background and experience. You know, you might say the other team, if you're a sports therapist, the other team's got a team doctor, but it turns out they're a gynecologist who's never done any, um, you know, any, any pitch side work before or something. That's entirely different to having an experienced paramedic or an experienced pre-hospital care practitioner. Um, so just assessing the risk of the environment that you're in and doing simple things on communication, protocol, and rehearsal to try and decrease the chance of things going wrong um, when you put in a difficult situation. So fr- from your own practice, Jonathan, how has human factors evolved over the last few years? Yeah, it's still striding, striding forwards at a rapid pace, uh, and more and more people are getting involved. I think back to about 10 years ago where I remember... Um, a particular high-profile incident where, as a pitchside medic, I, I missed somebody that was knocked out uh, on the rugby field, uh, and then we had a things didn't go particularly well with the communication around that, and then we had another significant injury, and then that led into um, seemed like a bit of chaos on the touchline, and then before we know it, we're losing these big important games. We lost that big important game, uh, and that led to loads of changes on, on my part about thinking about um, video and thinking about the communication and thinking about what we're doing in the hospital to what, what we could do pitch side. And I think now we've got to the point that you know, a lot of people have looked at this, a lot of really good people have looked at the technology and the communication and the leadership and followership um, around um, yeah, human performance, really. Uh, and you'll find that the teams that are using it really well now, using human factors and risk management really well, will try and protocol um, who's going to be doing what. Uh, they're going to have checklists for their equipment um, to make sure everything is working and, and appropriate and up to date. Uh, they're going to have a safety huddle before uh, matches so that they meet and greet everyone and clarify roles and experience. They're going to have clear, closed communication of um, people giving clear, not waffly commands, but defined commands and getting acknowledgements back using eye contact, using names, um, and you know, rehearsing the what-ifs um, before they happen, just so that when they do happen, you can be effective in your performance of what you're trying to do, minimise the risk of an adverse outcome. So, Jonathan, you've... you've- given us a few really useful practical examples there of what people can do at a practical level if they're working in a tomorrow at pitch side. If it's not quite the same receptive environment that people are working in and you've got some people who are resistant um, to change and maybe to these softer skills, um, how do you go about getting people to buy into the importance of, of some of these? So, like, you know, like any, any situation, when you get a group of people coming together and working in a team, everyone will be at a different stage. You'll have some people who will be really advanced in their unconscious awareness of risk and human factors. And everybody wants to do a good job, but there'll be some people who 
just don't quite have that same awareness. Uh, and in particular, when you look at uh, sport and exercise medicine, many people who work within the, the field um, aren't dealing with particular high acuity, high pressure moments there and then like they will be asked to do in sport, which is why we kind of do all the immediate care training to try and buffer against that. So inevitably, you need to use um, those colleagues to try and provide a supportive environment to encourage people to to change their behavior. And that can be through having conversations, so setting a clear objective of why you're wanting to bring in human factors awareness, um, not overcomplicating it. There are a couple of really good resources out there which don't kind of shove it down people's throats too much. Um, most of the human factors work that we use um, in the healthcare industry now comes from the aviation industry. And one good example of something I would show you to illustrate the, the, uh, the challenges and the problems around uh, risk in healthcare is by a chap called Martin Bromley on YouTube. There is a video called Just a Routine Operation. Uh, now, Martin was an airline pilot um, who, so obviously the airline industry is completely full of checklists, um, closed communication. Uh, closed communication means people um, speaking and then people acknowledging, um, people making good eye contact, people using appropriate call handles. The aviation industry is completely full of that. So they are um, yeah, the area that we've kind of stolen many of our ideas from. Martin Bromley's video is a tragic story of his wife who unfortunately died from a, a routine elective operation. Um, and the, the nuts and bolts of the of the story are, despite having senior people in the room um, and it being in a very controlled environment of an anaesthetic room, there still were challenges around the human factors of recognising the risk, leadership, um, where particular equipment was stored, etc., that influenced the outcome of Martin's wife. And, and obviously hats off to Martin for sharing a very difficult story, but like a lot of people who've had adversity, he's tried to twist that to make it a positive story. Um, so I definitely would use that as, once I'd kind of introduced the human factors concept, you could offer the YouTube um, just a routine operation video to come go and watch. Another one at the moment, again, which is a soft way of introducing it, Kevin Fong, the um, anaesthetist from London who used to work for NASA, who does a lot of BBC documentaries. He has a podcast series at the moment on the BBC World Service called 13 Minutes to the Moon. And he's talking about um, the people and the decisions and the pressure that they were under and how they managed that pressure to a relatively young age, being only in their 20s and early 30s, for a crucial time from, from the... Um, leaving the orbiter around the moon to actually getting on the surface of the moon. And they're constantly making references to little, uh, the importance of good decision-making, good communication, and the pressure that people were under. So you certainly can give people some good examples of things to look at. Um, but fundamentally, it is about everyone's in a different place. Change management takes time. So you need enthusiasts, local champions, and people to drive this forward, which I suppose is, in a way, why I'm speaking to you today. Uh, amongst others, we're finally seeing it coming into sports medicine a bit more. Um, thank you for your insights throughout the podcast, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Stefan. Good luck. For listeners, you can follow Jonathan on Twitter. It's at SportsDocSky. And the links to the resources we mentioned can be found in the blurb of this podcast. We hope you found this podcast interesting and thank you for listening and have a great physically active day.